Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, we're in a series called Empowered, where we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and how he moves in our lives and in our world today. And maybe you have questions about the Holy Spirit, because you're kind of like, it's kind of a vague, ambiguous, like, what is he actually, or... Who is he or what's he look like? Or, you know, often I think we think of, is this on? Yes. Oh, no, it's on me. Okay, good. I thought that was giving me feedback. Uh, often we think of him maybe as like our conscience. You ever heard the Holy Spirit described that way? It's basically like the cricket from Pinocchio uh, or the angel on your shoulder, whichever picture of it you want to you wanna have in your head, uh, telling you all the things that you need to do and the way that you should be living and the things that you're doing wrong and giving you advice and whispering things in your ear, saying things like, you should be working harder. You should be trying harder. You should be much further along. You should know Jesus much more. You should love other people a lot more. Uh, you should... Whew, sorry, guys. Hey, Dave, can you drop my gain a little bit? Uh, you, you know, you should be eating better and, and lose some weight. And there should be kale on your plate, but instead you're eating French fries. You know, that voice, right? The one that we all love to have talking to us. Uh, the Holy Spirit said annoying voice that's telling us that we could do more, right? No, thankfully that is not actually who the Holy Spirit is, even if that's sometimes the picture that we get in our mind. Uh, he's not the one that's telling us that our plans are too loose and that our pants are too tight. That would not be nice of him. Uh, he is much more than that. In John 16, Jesus says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, or that word also means comforter, encourager, counselor, won't come. If I go away, then I will send him to you. If I go away, then I'll send him to you. You know, part of the good news of what Jesus wanted to come and do is that he wanted to actually use us. And that may seem like it's not good news, because we're like, uh, if he did it all on his own, maybe I'd be okay with that sometimes. Like, I'm not quite sure what this means, what I'm actually signing up for. Uh, God's plan, though, is to use imperfect people. But imperfect people need to be healed and filled in order to be used well. Amen? You've been there, you understand, like you feel that? Jesus knew that he, as a human on earth, was limited in geographical reach, in uh, personal touch, to be able to transform all people. And so he was saying that when he leaves, that something was going to come that was going to be able to reach all people everywhere all the time. And that that was much better than him being in one spot at one time. We need changing and we need it right now. And the Holy Spirit is the answer to that need in our lives. And so God has this plan for transforming us in real time, making us more like him. He had a plan for healing and fulfilling us. He said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send somebody who can do everything that you need done. You know, I know that I've needed this. 
Anybody ever been on the try harder bus? How'd that work out for you? Uh, anybody ever been on the uh, just be better, be a better person? How'd that work out for you? Not, not so well, yeah. Uh, anybody ever felt continuous guilt about how much you weren't trying or how much better that you weren't gonna be, yeah? Any, you could connect to that. The good thing about the Holy Spirit is that Jesus' plan for us is to erase all of that, to take all of that away, not to make us try harder, not to make us just try and be better, but to give us an answer in the midst of that. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to people who can't get better on their own, who can't try harder on their own, who are unable to just be better people, basically to you and to me. The Holy Spirit comes to us and Jesus says there's a better way. The comforter, the encourager is going to come and he'll fill you and he'll heal you and you'll be able to do what it is that I'm calling you to do. He'll give you what you need. Do you know what the Holy Spirit brings? In the Gospel of John, it tells us that he brings grace to obey. He brings love for God and others. He's someone who walks alongside of you in all times. He brings truth, clarity of who Jesus is, and intimacy with God. If that's what the Holy Spirit brings, then sign me up. Amen, right? That's good. I need more of that. You know, about a week ago, I got up super early on a Saturday morning. Super early on a Saturday for me means that I left the house at 8.45. No judge. Right? I got kids. It's my one day. I get up early every other day, right? Uh, you know, no judge. But I got up at 8.45 and I went to Starbucks not to get coffee. I actually didn't get coffee. I went to Starbucks to sell baseball cards because I'm a little bit of a nerd with baseball cards and to offset my spending, my investments, as I tell Sarah, <laughs> my investments. Uh, I try and sell the other stuff so that it comes cash neutral, which she thanks me for. Uh, it works out better uh, for our marriage. And so I headed out at 8.45 to Starbucks to meet somebody who was buying cards from me on Saturday morning from Facebook Marketplace. And I don't, you ever sold stuff or bought stuff on Facebook Marketplace? Yeah, a few folks. So there's two types of people that you sell or buy from on Facebook Marketplace. There's one type that says five words. Do you know what those five words are? Does that look right? Yes. And then they drive away. Like you put the thing in their car and then they drive away. I fit in that category. That's usually what I am. I am that, that type of a, of a buyer. There's a second group of people who gets out of the car, shakes your hands, and tells you their life story uh, because you just met and they're buying, you know, random silverware from you. And so that demands a life story, right? Uh, and so they start to tell you everything about them. Well, this guy who I was selling to a week ago on Saturday was in that second category. And so he shows up. I hand him the stuff. He hands me the money. He looks at it. You know, I said my five words, you know, and it, then he started saying a lot more. And he started telling me about why he had moved back to the area, that he had been in the area, then he, he had moved away, and then he had come back just recently because uh, he was going through cancer treatments. And he starts like, really, he was telling me everything. He doesn't know that I'm a pastor. Like there was no reason for him to like start. I don't have a sign on my forehead that says, tell me your life story. That's not really a thing. 
like, and so, but he starts like sharing with me and he said that he started getting back into cards collecting because he needed an outlet to kind of take his mind off of things. And so he's just sharing with me about this. And as he's talking, there's this voice. It's not a cricket, but you know, it may have sounded a little bit like that, that kept talking to me and saying, you should pray for him. You should pray for him. You should pray for him. I don't always listen to that voice, if we're being honest. But I did this time. And so instead of saying five words, I said eight. I'm a pastor. Can I pray for you? And he looked at me and he was like, sure. And so then I said a couple more words. And I said, can I put my hand on your shoulder? Now we're in the Starbucks parking lot (laughs) at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. It's busy. There's people like walking, driving, like people are watching at this point. Not, I was trying to ignore that, but like there was people around. And so I put my hand on his shoulder and I started to pray and I prayed for healing and I prayed for comfort and I prayed for his family in the middle of it and what they're going through. And I prayed just that he would experience the love of Jesus. And I kept it to about that. I try not to make it too long. And then I said, amen. And we shook hands and, and he left. Why would I do that? It's not because I'm a pastor, because believe me, plenty of pastors avoid those situations, me included, half the time. The reason I would do that is because I believe that the Holy Spirit had something more for that guy than I could ever give him. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. I'll probably never know if what God did in his life, because I don't know him, (laughs) as I proved in that conversation, like we didn't know each other. But maybe the Holy Spirit wanted to bring healing to him. Maybe he wanted to comfort him, bring peace to his family. I didn't know what the Holy Spirit wanted to do, but I knew that the Holy Spirit could do more in that guy's life than I could ever do by saying a couple of nice words. And so I said, okay, let's do this. And I invited the Holy Spirit in. But what's, in, what's amazing is that in those moments, the Holy Spirit works in that guy's life. And I'm certain he did, even though I don't know what it is. But he also does something in me. And he fills me with what I need to actually be able to love and empathize for others in ways that go beyond what my natural tendency and ability actually is. Friends, do you know, let me ask you a question and then we're going to pray, but let me ask you, do you know what I desperately want for you as your pastor? Let me tell you, here's what I desperately want. I want you to be in a place where you don't need me in order to be healthy. I want you to be connecting to Jesus on your own in a way that spurs you forward, that keeps pointing you towards him. And that if I say something nice that, could, that, that hits you well, great. It's a nice bonus. But you're going there on your own anyway. That's what I desperately want for us. I want to help you to know Jesus, to, to help you to experience the Holy Spirit, to create spaces for that. But I don't want to be necessary in your spiritual walk because Jesus and the Holy Spirit do a much better job of that than I ever will. That's what I desperately want for you. The Holy Spirit's necessary for us to be spiritually healthy. Necessary. Because God uses imperfect people 
And imperfect people like you and I need to be healed and filled in order for God to use us in the way that he wants to use us. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into John 14. Holy Spirit, we just ask for you to come. I thank you for what it is that you are up to already this morning. It's the way that we started the service by just asking for you to come and to rest, to fill this place, to move. We just keep echoing that, come and just breathe on us, breathe life into us today. Ways that we need our heart, our mind kind of reoriented towards you. I ask that you'll come and speak. Ways that we need healed. For those of us that feel empty, I pray that you'll come and fill us. Reveal to us a clearer vision of who you are and what it is that you're up to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So again, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, three and yet one. Uh, and yes, that is a mystery and it is a little bit odd and it is hard to fully comprehend. And honestly, he's God and I'm not. And that is just part of what we have to embrace with this whole mystery of the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit has some specific things that he brings to our relationship. And I want to look at it, looking at what Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, John 14, and you can open to verse 15. It'll be on the screen. You can pull it up in your phone. Just don't go to other apps. Uh, but let's read this, John 14, 15. It says, If you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. I will continue, but I want to stop there for a second. One theologian wrote that love is the engagement of the whole person especially the person's will. You know, love requires all of us, not just the parts that we choose. If Sarah asks me to do something, I can kind of ignore it for a little bit, right? And then she's going to come and poke me and ask me to do it again. And then she's going to set a reminder on my phone. And then she's going to uh, message me, DM me, text me, call me. Uh, she's going to send our daughters after me to come and remind me to do it. Uh, like, there's no way that I can avoid it forever, right? With Jesus, we kind of can, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's very easy for Jesus to nudge us, to ask us to do something, and for us to be like, I'm not feeling it, and then to go and do something else. And then what we're left with is basically, what, like five minutes of guilt, and then we kind of just cover it up with enough other things that we don't feel it anymore, and we go about our day. We can avoid him if we want to. In our relationship with Jesus, we sometimes also, you know, we can think things like, Jesus, I love you, but what you're saying is not culturally sensitive. 
Jesus, I love you, but what you're saying doesn't really fit with how I like to do things. Jesus, I love you, but it just doesn't feel like you're actually aware of my personality type right now and the way that I like to do things. And so I'm going to say no to that right now. We start to throw those questions. You know, I was thinking about when I got in trouble when I was 16, only one time, not really. Uh, I got in trouble when I was 16. And uh, I remember this conversation. It was me and my mom and my dad. We were in our living room. And they sat me down. And my dad was just, my dad was great. He was not great in these instances. (laughs) I'll say it that way. This was not his strength. Uh, And he got so frustrated with me. And he said, Stephen, like, can't you just stop? Can't you just like do something else? That was his basic argument at that point. And I remember 16-year-old me sitting there and looking at him and being like, if it was that easy, I would have, right? Like, I don't like to be frustrating to you. I don't, I'm not trying to do all these things that make you like your head explode. Like, if it was that easy, I probably would have. But he just didn't grasp it. it. It just didn't connect. And honestly, sometimes... I think we feel like that with our relationship with Jesus. We feel like 16-year-old me sitting there and being like, Jesus, if it was that easy, I would have. Like, come on, don't you you know like how hard it is? You ever felt like that with your relationship with Jesus? But Jesus just keeps saying, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And then in a few verses down, which we'll read in context in a second, but he says, those who accept and obey are those who love me. Because they love me, my father loves them and I love them and I reveal myself to them. There's this cycle to following Jesus. The more that you love Jesus, the more you obey Jesus, the more that you do the things that he's asking you to do, then the more that you start to obey him even more because then you understand who he is and what he's actually up to and it starts to make sense. And there's this whole like cyclical flow that goes to our relationship with Jesus. But as Craig Keener said, what Jesus is describing is not a formula. It's far too circular for that. It's a pattern for a developing relationship. It's a pattern for a developing relationship. If you don't obey him, his requests can seem ridiculous. They seem outlandish. Like, nobody lives like that anymore. That's not real. But when you risk and you start to follow him, and you start to obey, and then it makes sense, and then things in your life actually line up, and you start to notice, like, oh, I actually, there is some logic to this. This actually does work. And then you start to love him more and it keeps building step by step. Your love grows and your obedience grows together. But don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you have to like obey, like you have to do something to gain the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift, yes. Like that is what Jesus says. But he also says the Holy Spirit's a gift that only comes to people who obey Jesus's commands. That's just what it is. I didn't write it. The Holy Spirit, though, when we obey, starts to give us the strength that we need to be able to be obedient to Jesus. 
which of course does imply that we need to get rid of disobedience, right? We have to be willing to ask hard questions and say, is there an area in my life that I am just flat out choosing to not obey Jesus? Is there an area in my life that I am choosing to neglect, to ignore, because I don't want to obey Jesus? Are there ways that I'm living my life that are purposefully pointing me in a different direction so I don't have to deal with what it is that Jesus is saying to me? Have I refused? Am I hesitant to giving to Jesus the things that he's asking from me? For most of us, I think we could probably say yes about something in our life. What's our answer at that point? It's just to simply repent and choose different. Just say, I'm sorry, I've been doing that. And then follow. Obey and love, love and obey. They're connected. Obedience is the key needed to unlock the door to more of Jesus. Not because he's a dictator, but because relationships require openness. Let's look at verse 16. It says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. This word for advocate, it's also translated as counselor, as comforter. Uh, it's the word, uh, the Greek word paraclete. So who is the Holy Spirit? It means the one called alongside, the one who is called to someone's aid. That's what paraclete means. He is the one called to walk alongside of you in your time of need, in all seasons of your life. Verse 17, he's the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Who's the Holy Spirit? The Greek word for Holy Spirit that's used here is the Greek word pneuma. And this word is uh, kind of a, a translation of the Hebrew word that's used all throughout the Old Testament of ruach. Uh, it's a word that starts all the way in Genesis 1, chapter 2. It says, The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Uh, another instance in Genesis 41, So Pharaoh asked them about Joseph, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom there is the Spirit of God? Psalm 51 says, Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God found in these verses and a lot of others is the, the one who brings life where there's been no life at all, creates life. He's the one who brings clarity to mysteries. He's the one who reveals a path forward in the middle of a foggy haze where people aren't sure where they're going. He makes people aware of where God is and where his presence is. And so when John uses this word, what he's basically saying to everybody who's hearing it, he's saying the Holy Spirit's not new. He's been there the whole time. He's been around the whole time. This isn't something new that I've created, that Jesus just created. He's been here. We've been talking about him the whole time. And he leads us into truth. Truth. This word for truth here means without avail. Who's the Holy Spirit? He's the one who leads us 
to a place where God is revealed to us without a veil, where God is unveiled in front of us. That's who the Holy Spirit is. In verse 18, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you and soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Then Judas, and he says very carefully, not that one, the other one, uh, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal to, to why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? And Jesus said, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. Who's the Holy Spirit here? Well, Jesus says that he's not a new revelation of God. He's just revealing the God that you've seen the whole time. Jesus is the fullest revelation of God that you can ever have. One of my favorite expositors of the Holy Spirit is a guy named Simon Ponsonby, and he writes, the more we receive of the Spirit, the more we know of the Savior. You don't need a new or updated version of Jesus. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever, and that's really good news. He doesn't pull a bait and switch on you. The same one that you met at the beginning is the one that you're going to meet at the end. There's no difference. He's always who he is. But you might understand a little bit more of who he is as you get a little bit closer to him. So friends, if that's who the Holy Spirit is, do you want more of him? When Jesus is resurrected, he comes back and he does this like, creepy and they say it in such like weird terms like he appears in the room like i don't know how all this works like again i wasn't there i didn't write it but he's resurrected he comes back and he meets the disciples in john chapter 20 verse 19 it says that sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the jewish leaders and suddenly jesus was standing there among them peace be with you he said and as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This act of Jesus breathing onto the disciples was an act that pulls back all the way to the very beginning of creation in Genesis 2-7, where it says that then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. It's the same word that's used here. And so what Jesus is doing in this instance is that he's breathing his resurrection life into his disciples and creation is being made new. 
As he breathes the Holy Spirit, they're made new. His plan from the very beginning is being restored by the Holy Spirit coming and being in relationship with his followers at all times in the midst of them. It's new and it's different, but it's still the same. And he's tying it together beautifully here. Because Jesus, who's obviously human and yet obviously God, as told by all the rest of the things that are said there, he breathes this, creating a new humanity once and for all. And friends, one of the beautiful things about this is that for the disciples, if you think about what their week has been like up until that point, They're sitting there and when Jesus shows up and he says that the Holy Spirit is now theirs, what he's saying is that God is with you all the time now. You're never going to have to go through another day like you just went to. You're never going to have to go through another time where you wonder if God is completely gone and absent like he was when he was in the tomb. You're never going to have to question if he's there with you. He is at all times with you. God is here the darkness the loneliness was gone not only was he with them at all times but it was kind of a a more uh, perfect with them than even the disciples had experienced up until that point terry fulham wrote that i truly believe that our relationship with jesus in the form of the holy spirit is even more intimate than the one the disciples had with jesus the man I don't know about you, but that's convicting. Because honestly, I don't think that I often think about the Holy Spirit and my relationship being more intimate than the one that I have with any of you who I can see face to face. But there's something deeper about that relationship that cuts to our hearts in such a clean way and that brings something new. So the Holy Spirit brings us grace to be able to obey. He brings us love for God and for others. He's someone who walks alongside of you in all times. He brings truth. He brings clarity of who Jesus is. He brings intimacy with God. If that's what the Holy Spirit brings, then I want more of it. But like Simon Ponsonby said, to be filled with the Holy Spirit leaves no room to be filled with anything else going to rearrange you it's going to change you it's good but it's going to make things different Mm -hmm.